mentioned just a few moments ago, if you got your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts 25 and 26, and I want to share uh, around what we really see as a main idea over these next couple chapters, uh, and that is this idea of being gospel ready. And uh, I want you to think about that, that phrase, gospel ready. Paul, the apostle, was always gospel ready. Like he never found himself in a place where he wasn't ready to turn the conversation towards Jesus, to point of the hope that is found in Jesus. Um, the, the question that I think practically as, as believers uh, that, that, that we ask ourselves in light of the text we're going to read today is, is are we gospel ready? Like I want you to just practically think about how the rest of this day plays out. Let's say we, we wrap up here and we go perhaps to our homes or we go to a family's home and we find ourselves going out and about and maybe we find ourselves in a conversation and let's just say for the sake of our time in the Word this morning that the question comes around to your personal relationship with Jesus and someone were to ask you the question, so what, what is the deal with Jesus? Or what is the big deal about Jesus? What is the story of Jesus? Perhaps they might know you and they know that maybe you have a, a background of being involved in a local church. And, and they ask you, like, why, why is it that you gather on Sunday mornings? Why, why, what makes you a Christian? Why would you call yourself a Christian? And, and, and the question that... that, that that as we look at this text is, are we ready to give an answer to that question? Because as we see Paul, and he is such a great encouragement in the word, is that he was always ready. Paul could have never scripted his life. If you think about it, before he was Paul, he was Saul. Saul's mission in life was to zealously live and defend the law of God. And that as we are introduced to him in Acts chapter 8 and towards Acts chapter 9, what we see is this man was bent on ending the gospel. Like he was bent on stopping the spread of the gospel to quiet the name of Jesus and to put an end to Christianity so much so he was there at the stoning of Stephen, Christian, Christianity's first martyr. He was there. He affirmed the whole thing. He sets out towards Damascus to where his whole mission is to sweep through homes and find men and women and take them into custody. All for the purpose of stopping this gospel mission from moving forward. But if you're familiar with the story in Acts chapter 9 shares it, we see the conversion of Paul. This was his testimony, that this was his story and this was his song, that he would sing about his Savior all day long and to anyone that would listen. And what happened on that day radically reoriented his life. To which I would say, and I think for all of us who would say we are believers in Jesus, that that that, that is what is the normal Christian life is that when we repent of our sin and we trust in Christ and Christ alone as our Savior, our lives are radically changed and our life is no longer oriented around ourselves, around our desires, around our goals and our purposes. 
Rather, the call to be a follower of Jesus is literally a call to deny self, take up your cross, and to follow him. And what you see in the life of Paul is this this radical focus on living a life for the glory of God and the mission of God. And (laughs) if you would have caught Paul before he was headed to Damascus, I'm thinking he would never be in a position to say, let me tell you what's going to happen to me. Jesus is going to radically change my life, and I'm going to be what will be known as the greatest missionary who's ever lived. And the very thing that I'm trying to end and stop and, and cancel God is going to use me to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And that's exactly what it is. When he is saved in Acts chapter 9, here's what God says. I want to, I want to mention Acts chapter 9 back in verse 15. Here's what God said. God said about Paul, He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of of my name. So here we are now in a place called Caesarea. And where Paul up to this point as a missionary, you could have found him on the street corners preaching Jesus. You could have found him in a synagogue preaching Jesus. You could have found him in front of Greek temples in Athens preaching about Jesus. And now he is not only preaching to the Gentiles or preaching to the Jews. He is now as As God said was going to happen, he is now going to be before a king. So whether it was a prison or whether it was a palace or anywhere in between, Paul is faithfully gospel ready to point people to the only hope that mankind has. And that is the hope that is in Jesus, that he's the only way. And so are we ready? Are we ready to share with others? Are we ready to Are we equipped to be able to have gospel conversations? Are we ready to live on mission for Him? Because God has rescued us for that, to live on mission for Him. And so a little context before we jump in, and I mentioned it. Between Acts 24 and Acts 25, two years had passed. Paul was in Jerusalem, the religious mob trying to kill him. The Roman tribune named Claudius Lysias gathers 470 armed men to move Paul from Jerusalem to Caesarea, the Roman outpost there is where the governor lived. Governor Felix was the initial governor there. He followed Pontius Pilate, if that name rings a bell. He was the governor when Christ was crucified. And so here he is, he makes his case. And the Jews have all kinds of reasons why they don't like Paul, but they have absolutely zero evidence to convict Paul. And so what ends up happening is Paul just gets put back in in more or less of of a cell and, and just kind of gets left there. All the while, uh, Paul, for the next two years, sits in protective custody. And now a new governor is in charge. And his name is Festus. And so as I mentioned earlier, like Festus is the new governor. So he goes into Jerusalem and he's getting a lay of the land. And, and the Jews are there. And guess what they want to do with Paul? They want to bring Paul back to Jerusalem. This is two years later. Isn't it wild how hate can stick around? Two years later, the religious mob is still like, hey, let's work out a deal. You bring Paul up here and and all the while the text tells us we're going to plan an ambush to kill him. So let's get Paul here. And so Festus wants to work out a deal. So he goes back to Caesarea. He's talking to Paul 
And he's like, hey, Paul, what do you say we go back to Jerusalem and do a trial there? And Paul's like, have you lost your mind? <laughs> and this is where we jump into Acts 25, verse 11. This is Paul before the new governor, Festus. Here's what he says. He says, if I, chapter 25, verse 11, if, if then I am a wrongdoer, and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them, I appeal to Caesar. And Festus, when he had conferred with his counsel, answered, To Caesar you have appealed, and to Caesar you shall go. Now, there's a lot there, but I'm amazed at Paul's resolve. Because what Paul is basically saying is he's saying, hey, if I've done something wrong, if I've done something against the law, execute me. If I've done something wrong, take, take my life. But, but he knows there has been absolutely zero wrong that he's done. He's done everything right. He's done everything that God has called him to do. The mob just wants him dead. But yet what he sees, and as a Roman citizen, every Roman citizen would have this right. Every Roman citizen had the right to appeal to Caesar who was in Rome. And where did Jesus tell Paul he was going to go? He's going to go to Rome. And so he appeals to Caesar and he goes to Rome. He will go to Rome and Rome is going to pay for it. You're going to get the gospel to Rome through Paul. But here he is and all of this is, is going on. And Paul doesn't trust the Jewish law system, especially at this point. And so he's going to take it to Rome. Verse 13. The Bible says, now when some days had passed, Agrippa, so now we're introduced to a new name. This is King Herod Agrippa. He is going to be the last of the, the Herod dynasty. And so Herod Agrippa, the king, and Bernice arrived at Caesarea, and they greeted Festus. And as they stayed there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, there is a man left prisoner by Felix. And when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused met the accusers face to face and had an opportunity to make his defense concerning the charge laid against him. Verse 17, so when they came together here, I made no delay. But on the next day took my seat on the tribunal and offered the man to be brought. And when the accusers stood up, they brought no charge in his case of such evils as I supposed. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead but whom Paul asserted to be alive. Being at a loss on how to investigate these questions, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried there regarding them. But when Paul had appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. And then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, you will hear him. Again, I love that this is the fulfillment of what Jesus said was going to happen. The whole Bible is about God. The whole Bible is about God's glory. The whole Bible is about God's mission. The whole Bible is about God's rescue plan. Jesus told his disciples, his apostles in Acts 1, he said, 
You're going to receive power. My Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And again, all through Acts, that's exactly what's happening. The apostles could have never scripted it. They never could have written how it's all going to happen. But it's exactly what happens. That this gospel, this good news about Jesus, spreads from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Acts chapter 9, we'll be reminded that upon the conversion of Paul, the God told that Paul was going to be before kings. This is exactly what God said was going to happen decades earlier. God is faithful. This is why we can trust his promises. This is why we can trust his word. And so all along the way, God is being faithful to exactly what he said was going to happen. And Paul has found himself an active role in God's bigger story, to which I would encourage us this morning, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus, that you have a role and a part to play in a way bigger story than we may realize oftentimes, and that is the good news of Jesus getting to the corners of the earth. And here he is before King Herod Agrippa, Second, again, this is the last Herod of the big dynasty. And so Herod Agrippa II's daddy was Herod Agrippa I. Herod Agrippa I was the one who had the, the disciple James beheaded. And he tried to have Peter murdered as well. Herod Agrippa I's dad was Herod Antipas. He was the one who had John the, Bab, the baptizer's head chopped and served on a platter. Herod Antipas' daddy was the, known as Herod the Great. He was the one that at the time of Jesus and his birth had every baby two years and younger murdered. He was a wicked, sick, twisted, messed up individual. And so now here is Paul, a prisoner before King Herod Agrippa. One of the most powerful men on the planet at the time. And here's Paul. And by the way, we don't have a, a, a chapter and verse to describe what Paul physically looked like. But there is historical writings that teach us what Paul would have looked like. And so I was talking with a fellow earlier. And I, I don't know exactly what comes to mind when you think about Paul. But it could be like you kind of think about this like strong guy, like ready to roll. And like you don't want to mess with kind of guy. But, but, but he's actually historically written about as a... Man of small stature, bow-legged, a unibrow, a crook nose, and, a, and a, he was a short, uh, bald guy. He, 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 was this, he was this guy that, that you would think would be like this kind of like tall, big, broad-shouldered guy take over the world. But, but rather, he was not maybe necessarily the guy that you kind of had in your coloring book picture, maybe from growing up. Um, but here's what I love is that, is that in our weakness, Christ is strong. And so here now is, is Paul and he's faithfully presenting and preaching Jesus to the most powerful man on the planet. And so there are a couple truths that I want us to see about being gospel ready. And one is this, is when we embrace our location as our opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus, we are living in a gospel readiness. And so for Paul, that was literally, um, 
Antioch, that was Cyprus, that was Perga, that was Pamphylia, that was Iconium, that was Lystra, that was Ephesus, that was Philippi, that was Athens, that was Corinth, that was Thessalonica, that was Jerusalem, and that is Caesarea, and that is everywhere in between. Didn't matter if it was a palace or prison, Paul was faithfully embracing where he was to share Jesus, to which I would say, and that I would encourage us to see and understand the location we find ourselves in as your mission outpost for the glory of God. You may say, well, what do you mean? Well, your home. You realize, and we realize that our homes are bigger than just the place that we lay our head down at night. That rather God has allowed us to be in this place at this time and that there are people that are all around us And that we would embrace our home as our outpost to share the love of Jesus and to glorify Him. That many of you find your place in the marketplace all through the week. You know, it's that place you do your 9 to 5 or 9 to 12 or whatever those hours are. that, 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 That God has you there for a bigger purpose than to earn a paycheck. And a bigger purpose than to use that God-given talent that He put in you to do. Yes, use that, use that. But also that God has placed you in that place to be a light for Him. Because He's the only hope our world has. Perhaps you are on a team. Perhaps your child is on a team. Perhaps your grandchild is on a team. And that this is more than just an opportunity to have fun playing a, a sport, but rather... This is an opportunity for where for the next seven weeks or however long seasons are uh, that you're going to be investing and having relational opportunities with these people who may be so far from the Lord. But every everywhere we find ourselves is an opportunity as an outpost to shine and show the light of Jesus. And so for Paul, this was part of his gospel readiness. He was like, I'm in a palace, I'm in a prison, I'm in Lystra, I'm in Antioch, I'm in Caesarea, I'm in Jerusalem, I'm all over the place. But yet I'm, I'm embracing where I'm in to, to, to share the love of Jesus. And so not only that, but being gospel ready is being ready to verbalize the gospel in your everyday conversation. And I say verbal because the Bible says, how will they know unless they hear. How will they know unless somebody shares that we can do random acts of kindness all day long and still not share the hope that is in Jesus. And so by God's grace, may we be ready to verbalize. This is what Paul did in verse 15. He's called out. He's before King Agrippa and Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. Paul, seizing the moment, stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently, my manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. And what Paul does is this is like the third, um, third, uh, third verse, um, third course kind of thing. Like 
this isn't new information now for us at this point with Paul. Because over and over, Paul is sharing his testimony. He never got tired of telling people about Jesus. He never got tired of telling others about how Jesus changed his life. And so for the next verses that follow that passage, he talks about his youth all the way to growing up to being an opposition to people of the way. Jesus followers to his conversion where on that Damascus road he repented and the sin and placed his faith and trust in Jesus and then how God called him to be a missionary to the Gentile world. And so just like he has previously, he is telling anybody who would listen and give him an opportunity what his life was like before Jesus, how he came to Jesus, and how his life was different because of Jesus. And so every one of us as believers who have had that time and place where you've repented of your sin and trusted Jesus, you have a story to share. God wants to use your story, your unique story, to share his hope with a world that desperately needs it. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people over the years that say, well, you know, my testimony, it's just, it's not that big a deal, or it's not that whatever. <laughs> I'm like, okay, did you like move from death to life? then yes, your story is a big deal. <laughs> That's a big deal. Were you dead in your sin and trespasses apart from God's grace, God's love, God's forgiveness, an enemy of God as the Bible teaches, and through repentance and faith, responding to God's grace and care that you received salvation from Him and as Colossians says, transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God's Son, you have a testimony worth sharing. And so one tool of the enemy will be you don't really have a good story or your story's not as powerful as somebody else's or your power your your testimony is just not a big deal it's a very big deal and God wants to use you and your story and every believer has a story to share in verse 19 he goes on to say therefore O King Agrippa I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision but declared first to those in Damascus and then in Jerusalem and throughout all the regions of Judea and also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and they tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was, would come to pass that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. I love Paul's testimony because when he gives his testimony, he's very intentional. He's very intentional that God gets all of the glory. That he's sharing, he's making it clear and understood like, listen, this wasn't because of something I did. This wasn't because my good outweighed my bad at the end of the day. This wasn't because I'm a good person. This wasn't because of anything I've done. This is the grace of God. By grace, through faith, we are saved. This is not of ourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's because of the finished work of Jesus. And this is what Paul does. Paul says, it's because of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And that's why I'm here. And the hope I have is the hope 
for all people, all people. But it's only the gospel. Gospel is good news, right? It's good news. There's good news that Jesus lived a life we could never live. It's good news that Jesus died on the cross and took a payment that we deserve to pay. It's good news that Jesus was placed in a borrowed tomb and on the third day rose from the dead, proving he alone has the power to save. But it is only good news for you if you receive and respond to the good news. Until you personally respond to that good news, it's just the good news for the world. But the good news is for you. The good news is for you. He goes on to say in verse 24, And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things. And to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. And then the king rose and the governor and Bernice and those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death and imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. But God's design and God's plan is that the gospel is going to go to Rome and it's going to go to the ends of the earth. But I want to draw your attention to a, a few words in verse 29. And listen to the words of Paul. Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I. That phrase, I would to God, in other translations might, might read, I wish before God. In other words, what Paul is communicating is he is communicating his heart for all people to respond to God's invitation of forgiveness, grace, and relationship in eternal life. Like Paul says, this message is just not for the people that I like. It's not just for the people who semi have it all together. It is for the most pagan people that you can think of. King Agrippa II, you notice that, that female that is with him. And that and when, whenever you see King Agrippa II, you always see Bernice. Bernice was his sister. It is, it is historical fact that they had an incestuous relationship it was a it was that they were sin sick and yet here is Paul saying I am praying for the people who have it all together and I'm praying for the people who don't have it all together and I'm praying for the people who are involved in some of the sickest sin that can ever be thought of I am praying that they would be as I in relationship with God, responding to God's grace, responding to God's forgiveness and having relationship with him forever and ever and ever. Paul did not see these people as projects. He saw them as individuals who were created in the image of God 
who God has made for a relationship with Him. And so I, I believe this with all my heart, is that we will not be a gospel-ready people if our hearts are not gospel-sensitive. Because here's what can happen. Light goes on. Life is busy. We know it's important for the world to know about Jesus. But because we have so much going on, because we got something going on in our own world, and, and, and sometimes we all wrestle with priorities and getting things right and all those kinds of things, what can happen is that, is that we can go about our day and we can go through a string of days and we can go through a week and we can perhaps go through a month without ever having shared Jesus with anybody or prayed for someone that needs Jesus. Or God, give me a sensitivity as I go about my day that there may be people I encounter that need the hope and love of Jesus. And God, that you might use me and what I think is maybe a not so amazing story, but you want to use me to share your love with others. And so the encouragement here is that if we are going to be a gospel ready people, that we would pray for a burden. That we would pray that God would put in us a burden for people who need him. And not that we would just pray for a burden, that we would pray for an opportunity. I encourage this week that we would build these specific things into our prayer life. God, give me a burden for people who are far from you. Give me a sensitivity to people who need you. God, would you give me an opportunity? Would you open a door? And would you allow me to have the spiritual eyes to see that this is an opportunity to share the love of Jesus and to point to you and that we would pray for people by name, that we will be a gospel-ready people as we embrace where God's put us for a purpose. And not only that, but we would be prepared to verbally share the hope that is in Jesus and that we would trust Him with those opportunities and have those opportunities, that it's all about Him. But we also know that that does not happen by accident. It happens by being intentional. And we're intentional when we pray. Whatever we pray about is typically what we're intentional about. And so, and so how can we be more intentional in our praying for? Uh, as I wrap up, I want to share a little story from last night around the dinner table. Typically, typically, right? Um, nothing ever quite goes as planned, does it? <laughs> like ever? Typically, all right? Big quotations marks. Typically in our house... Uh, we'll eat together on Saturday night, and before we go to bed, we'll circle up, and I'll kind of talk to the kids. We'll read. Um, I didn't read all chapter 25 and 26 with the kids last night, but we'll, we'll read a, a portion of the scripture that we're going to be talking about, and, and we'll just, we'll just kind of talk about what we're going to learn tomorrow at church. And, and so as we started doing that, one of my children started asking more questions. Because I don't know if you recall last week, but we had a missionary couple uh, who are preparing to go to Southeast Asia. And, uh, and that just has kind of stuck with my kids a little bit. They're like, where they're going, like, it can be against the rules to tell people about Jesus. And then, and then I'd start, we start going through Paul, and we find Paul in these places of great pomp, right? King Agrippa, most powerful man in the ruler of the land there. And, and here's Paul uh, and, and just like in God's grace, sharing the hope that is in Jesus, realizing that Paul is even saying, look, if I've done something wrong, you can execute me. 
And so the question then comes translating that into our worlds today. And that are we ready, are we prepared to die for our faith? Like, are we prepared to go to a place or go to a people or have a conversation literally that carries a great cost with that? And, and, on, and being in honest and sincerity, my, one, of my little, one of my kiddos was like, I don't know if I could do that, Daddy. I don't know if I could do that. How do, how do we get there? How does, that, how does that happen? And so I'm on Wednesday nights walking through a study called Experiencing God. And one of the things that they teach in there is we obey God because we love God. That's what Jesus told us. If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. So our love is displayed in obedience. That's a practical way. But, but we, we obey because we love God. But we love God because we know God. And we don't know God apart from spending and investing relational time with our Heavenly Father. And then a lot of times it can be like, how do, you, how do you get there? How does Paul get there? But I would say it's out of the overflow of his personal relationship with the Lord. That he never got over the fact that God had rescued him. They had never gotten over the fact that, that God pursued him. Literally blinded him, lost his sight completely for a few days, and then it was restored. And then was like, you're going to be in front of Gentiles, you're going to be in front of Jews, you're going to be in front of kings. I'm going to show you what you're going to suffer for my name's sake. But for Paul, it was all worth it. Because for him, uh, it was, it was, his heart was, he just longed to be with the Lord. But it all was the overflow of his personal relationship. So, so perhaps even today, this, this message can land on us all kinds of different ways. But what I hope is that, number one, as a believer in the Lord Jesus, it will encourage all of us is that we will not neglect our personal relationship with the Lord. The goal isn't quantity. The goal is quality. That may we as believers be able to say of our time with the Lord, it is unrushed and it is unhurried. And that we spend time with the Lord, time in his word, time in prayer. That we would pray specifically embracing our role in the story. Every single believer has a role to play. And there's no second fiddle. Every member of the body is important, plays a function, plays a role. You have a role to play. We have a role to play. And so God wants to use you in the world you're in, in the location you're at, to share his hope with people around you. And so God help us to pray for that sensitivity, pray for that burden, pray for an opportunity Pray for people we may know by name to come to faith in Christ. And then it might be for somebody who's here, maybe someone listening in today, that if the question were asked, do you have a relationship with Jesus? That perhaps that, that answer is, I think so. I think so. When, when, when God desires us to know so, my favorite verse in the Bible, Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's a confidence. And so my encouragement in this time of response is simply this. If you're here today and you're like, you know what? I don't know if I have a relationship with Jesus. May I encourage you today is the day of salvation. This is as the gospel is going to the ends of the earth. Guess what? The gospel has come to you today. And God is pursuing you in his love and his grace. He's made you for a relationship. 
And so perhaps today is the day of salvation. So I'm going to pray for us. And as we do, we're going to have one more song, but we'll have pastors here. The altar's open. If we can encourage you, pray with you in any way, know that we are here to uh, really to honor the Lord and to serve him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the Apostle Paul. Thank you for the encouragement that no matter how far from God a person we may think is, that God, there is no one out of the reach of your grace. And so, Father, I pray right now for all of those perhaps that we love and we care about, that we see are far from God. And God, we pray that you do a mighty radical work in their lives. Father, I pray for us as a faith family that we would be gospel ready, that you've rescued us for this, for your glory, for your mission, embracing where we're at. The grass isn't greener on the other side. The grass is greener where you water it. And so God, help us to invest in that personal relationship with you. God, intensify our burden for people to know you. I pray for opportunities and open doors and sensitivity to see those opportunities and point people to the only hope we have, and that is you. Father, I pray that you would find us daily, not in a legalistic way, but in a love way, spending unhurried, unrushed time soaking in your word, your voice to us, allowing your spirit to work in our hearts, growing us, maturing us, and desiring to grow us and to fulfill the purpose you've created us for. And Father, as we zoom out, we see that the whole purpose is for you and it's for your glory. So God, I pray that today you would bring conviction in those areas we need conviction but God, the blessing is that your grace is there to move us forward. And God, also for anyone here that needs to begin a relationship with you, that today would be the day of salvation. God, we praise you for your love. We praise you for your care. We praise you for your grace. We praise you for your salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.